and hands folded in his sleeves like a monk. The students lowered their burden to the ground and looked at Bartholomew expectantly. He arranged some ropes and the coffin was lowered into the ground. He nodded to Sinric and the other bookbearers to start to fill in the grave and, taking a last look, he turned to go home. Friends and colleagues, began Wilson in his rich, self-important voice. We are gathered together to witness the burial of our esteemed master, Sir John Babington. Bartholomew froze in his tracks. The fellows had agreed the night before that no words would be spoken. It was felt that there were none needed, but what could be said about Sir John's extraordinary suicide? It had been decided that the fellows and the students should escort Sir John to his resting place in silence and return to the college in silence as a mark of respect. Sir John had done much to bring a relative peace to his college in a city where the scholars waged a constant war with each other and with the townsfolk. A few of his policies had made him unpopular with some university authorities, especially those who regarded learning to be the domain of the rich. Sir John, Wilson intoned, was much loved by us all. At this, Bartholomew gazed at Wilson in disbelief. Wilson had led the opposition to almost anything Sir John had tried to do, and on more than one occasion had left the hall at dinner red-faced with impotent fury because Sir John had easily defeated his arguments with his quiet logic. He will be sorely missed, continued Wilson, looking down mournfully as Sinric shoveled earth. Not by you, muttered Giles Abigny, the college's youthful teacher of philosophy, so that only Bartholomew could hear him. Not when you stand to gain so much. May the Lord look upon his soul with mercy, Wilson continued, and forgive him for his iniquitous ways. Bartholomew felt the anger boil inside him. He thrust his clenched fists under his scholar's tabard so that they should not betray his fury to the students, and looked to see the reaction of the other fellows. Avigny was positively glowering at Wilson, while Brother Michael watched with a sardonic smile. The other theologians, Father William and Father Elfrith, were more difficult to read. Bartholomew knew that Elfrith did not like Wilson, but was too politic to allow it to show. William, who had backed Wilson on many occasions against Sir John, now stood listening impassively. The last two fellows, Roger Alcott and Robert Swimford, who taught the subjects of the quadrivium, nodded at Wilson's words. The bookbearers had almost finished filling in the grave. A miserable, drizzle-laden wind swished through the trees, and somewhere a lone blackbird was singing. Wilson's voice droned on with its platitudes for a man he had neither liked nor respected, and Bartholomew abruptly turned on his heel and strode away. He heard Wilson falter for an instant, but then continue louder than before, so that the wind carried his words to Bartholomew as he walked away. May the Lord look kindly on the college and guide her in all things. Bartholomew allowed himself a disgusted snort. 
Presumably, Wilson's idea of the Lord guiding the college was to make him, Wilson, the next master. He heard footsteps hurrying behind him and was not surprised that Giles Abigny had followed his lead and left the group. We will be in trouble, Matt, he said with a sidelong grin at Bartholomew, walking out on Master Wilson's carefully prepared speech. Not master yet, said Bartholomew, although I imagine that will come within the week. They arrived back at the road and paused to scrape some of the clinging mud from their boots. It started to rain hard, and Bartholomew felt water trickling down his back. He looked back across the field and saw Wilson leading the procession back to the college. Avigny took his arm. I'm cold and wet. Shall we see if Hugh Stapleton will give us breakfast at Bennett's Hostel? What I need now is a roaring fire and some strong wine. He leaned a little closer. Our lives at Michael House will soon...